Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Colin Nessela and I'm here today with Tadeo Gasparetto. Hello everyone. And Carlos Gomez. Hola, hola, hola. Tadeo, can you tell us a little bit about today's paper? Absolutely. Well, we're going to discuss today the paper calls She Kicks, the State of Competitive Balance in the Top 5 Women Football Leagues in Europe. It has been published this year in the Journal of Global Sport Management and has a single author, Sartak Mondo from the Sheffield Haaland University. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the structure of this paper and why this paper is interesting. Today, Tadeo chose this one, but I was really glad that he picked it because if you are from sports science, you know that many people focus on competitive balance. And if you're a reviewer once in a while, you might be overwhelmed by the amount of competitive balance papers. But I'm a researcher who's also responsible for that. Carlos and I, we have a paper on competitive balance. And to be honest, I'm not so sure how much this paper had to advance competitive balance as a research foundation. But here we have an exception, if you ask me, because we have someone that focused on something new. And what this author did is she said, you know what? What about competitive balance in women's soccer? And this is a super interesting approach because competitive balance is very important for spectators and also for a league. Because in contrast to, let's say, traditional business models, where as a company, you want to be the dominant company, you want to be the one that is selling all of the products, often you do not want this in a league. A more balanced league can be more interesting for spectators. So you're interested in that from many different perspectives. And as a league organizer, you might have a different perspective compared to, for example, as a club, you might want to be dominant. But as a league, you do not want this all the time. And here the author says, okay, great. We have all this research. We really have a zillion papers about competitive balance, but none of them is for female football. And this is what she's doing here. So she wants to look at competitive balance for female football. So Tadeo, how is she doing that? And what kind of method is she using? Well, yeah, I mean, I like for the same reasons. Like there are really few papers tackling competitive balance in women's sport. It was one of the reasons that this paper got my attention. Well, what he did, he's the analyzed Ah, sorry, it's he? Oh, sorry I think. That. So that was my mistake. <laughs> five different leagues, as he called, like top five leagues in women football in Europe. So England, France, Sweden, Germany, and Norway. And over 22 seasons, so has to give credit for a really great data set in this term, was from 1997 to 2018-19, so super nice. And he also analyzed from different perspectives. So firstly, he focused on the concentration. So he used Herfindahl Index of Competitive Balance, so a very used metric in sports. Also, they standardized version of this and could compare between them the results. Use the wind dispersion ratio that considers as the ratio of the standard deviation of the points in the league and also the draw percentage. That's one more concentration ratio for a competitive balance. But he also analyzed the dominance through two different metrics. That first one would be the number of different teams that won the league, but also the maximum number of the titles that a single club has won. So really got a very nice overview about the competitive balance level in the top European women football. So super nice. So to compare them 
he used another one way and then post hoc. So something that I did before that for me was super nice to read these. I've done this with Brazilian football and some European tournaments. So more or less the same approach that is for me super nice to see. And also some personal correlation between the metrics in order to see how consistent they would be between them. And later, the last step was something that the literature started to advance into this line that tried to understand the reasons that make one tournament more competitive than another. I've just published a paper in, in this line with, with male football, and they have done this with women football. That's why it's also nice to read that they run ordinarily square methods. So a simple a multiple linear regression where the competitive balance ratio would be regressed by whether there is a promotion and relegation system, if whether it's the amateur or professional standard, the season, and also the number of the teams in the competition. So, well, a lot of things, super nice. Before we come to the results, I wanted to ask you too, for you personally, how important is it your favorite league is balanced or unbalanced? For me, I think it's a bit of a mix because I want to see my team winning, but I also want to see a good show. So it's a bit of a mix, I would say. So I like balanced competitions, but I also like my team winning. So in that regards, something like that. Then maybe let's add something to this question. Suppose your team would always be winning. Would it still be okay for you or would you then? I wouldn't like that, no. I, I think very few people would like that. Yeah, my answer is in the same line. It's like, I want to see my team winning as much as possible, but we never won every single year, so... It's difficult to imagine this, but I don't think it would be very pleasant to see every single year over 20 seasons winning all the time. And I mean, there is one more component when we are talking about not only competitiveness in your team, but how good the championship is. And let's say we have a lot of leagues that are extremely competitive, but the lack of stars, the lack of good players also decrease the interest of fans. So there are always more components around the competitiveness or the fan preference. But well, what did he get as a result? Yeah, the main result I enjoyed when I could read the whole paper. As Connell said, we have worked with women's sports and I like these leagues and I follow them a little bit. I really enjoy when the author gave some information about where these leagues are at the moment and the history, the development history. And regarding the results, so as Tadeo already explained, we have these dominance variables, we have these concentration variables. And I think the author does a great job discussing the implications for both of them because dominance only takes into account a few teams. Concentration, all teams are considered. So this is also a thing in competitive balance, depending the measure you use, you can have different results. So regarding this Herfindel index and the standard versions, the alpha does not trace a lot of significant changes over time, especially in England, France, Sweden, and Germany. So these leagues remain stable over time. Only Norway seems to have a moderate improvement on competitive balance. So that for me is the first result. So competitive balance has remained sort of stable over time. Regarding the wind dispersion ratio, the author finds that the leaks in England and Sweden have become more balanced. And as it happens also with Norway, when he looks at this percentage of draw in the league. So on a way like these leaks behave similarly to men's leagues. So we don't have yet that many differences with men's sports. Tadeo also mentioned at the end of the paper, the authors include these regression models to try to understand the influence of economic factors on competitive balance. These economic factors are things related to 
whether the league is open or closed or whether the players are amateur or professional and, and the wages that they received. And it seems to have a correlation with the outcomes of competitive violence. So I think that's a very interesting line of research for future research to understand women's sports and how, for example, professionalization might impact competitive violence and, as Cornell described, also the interests of spectators. And also the author ends up the paper reflecting a little bit and discussing how commercialization in some countries, for example, in England, may impact women's soccer popularity. And this is also another idea that I really like reading about, reflecting a little bit about it. Cornell? So, Carlos, I would like to add here something, because I was in a podium discussion here one and a half years ago, and we talked about how can you change the public perception regarding women's soccer And here in Norway, they do something that I haven't seen that too much in, in other countries. And that is, if you open the webpage from the biggest public news agency called Enercore, you see that they're mentioning the results and talking about women's football there on the first page. While, for example, if you would do that in Germany, you would almost never read about that stuff. And pretty similar in Switzerland. I, I'm not so sure about the Netherlands, but here in Norway, I have the feeling that they started to appreciate that this level is pretty good, you know? It, it really makes sense to watch it. And once in a while, I click on the highlights from those videos, and it's amazing, you know, because it looks so good and it's so underappreciated. So there's such a huge market in there. So for me, yeah, I mean, we do this research all the time and we have this ongoing paper now, but every time I talk about it, It is amazing for me to see that people can underappreciate women's soccer so much. Yeah, I like the comment. I know you're teasing me a little bit because we have this paper together talking a little bit about these issues. I do believe that's also the way we promote women's sports and sports in general influence how people perceive it. So that's something to look at in future research. Cornel, Tadeo, thank you very much. This is everything for today's podcast. Thank you for listening to the weekly sports piece. Stay tuned 